Welcome back into the Lions 24-7 podcast. Happy to be with you. It is May. It is 40-some degrees in Happy Valley. We're trying to figure this thing out. We will get to a true spring eventually. I'm confident of that. But uh, a telltale sign that we are on our way towards spring is that the NFL draft is now behind us. Six Nittany Lions were selected between last Thursday, last Saturday. That's when the draft took place around one Thursday night, a longer wait uh, at, uh, than we anticipated for a Penn State player to come off the board. It went all the way into Friday, the first pick on Friday, and then pretty busy night Friday. A couple more Penn State players selected on Saturday uh, when the draft wrapped up and following the draft, some undrafted free agent news to get to. And we'll dive into all that right now with Mark Brennan and Daniel Gallon, who we spoke with here on the podcast on Thursday, a few hours before round one got going. We gave you our prediction on, on where players would land. Naturally, a lot of those predictions were blown up pretty quickly. But Daniel Gallen, who did pick Joey Porter to the Pittsburgh Steelers, just a, a little off on the picks and where he would fall. But uh, Daniel Gallen goes from worst to first. So congratulations to you. You won our contest. And um, I guess we'll lead things off with the first pick from Penn State. He was the first pick of round two. It sounds weird. That's number 32 off the draft board. Normally that gets you into round one. The Miami Dolphins got slimy. It cost them a, a first-round pick, and it means pick number 32 in this year of all years is not good enough for a first-round pick. So that streak continues for Penn State, but Joey Porter has a home, and it's very familiar territory for him. Yeah, yeah that, that streak of no Penn State defensive back getting selected in the first round is going to last uh, another year. Uh, I think we can talk about some you know a guy who could probably break that in a little bit, but yeah, I think that we were all pretty surprised, but I think that the one thing that you really have to factor in with the draft is just the, the randomness that you get um, and that you can kind of plan things out, how things are going to go, how the board is going to fall, but then you can have something sort of almost irrational happen. Uh, the Texans trading back up to number three was one that stood out to me. Um, you know, Emmanuel Forbes going to the commanders at 16, uh, the cornerback from Mississippi State. Didn't really see that happening. Um, and so you know, those types of things you know, that slowly and slowly you know, push you down the board a little bit. And it was you know, unfortunate for Joey Porter Jr. that he was one of the guys uh, that that happened to this year. You know, Fortunately for him, there was someone a little bit more high profile who also fell out of the first round. So he didn't necessarily have to deal with all of the cameras and everything that goes along with that. Um, but you know, it was kind of cool. Like on on Friday night, he drove down to the facility uh, instead of doing a conference call, which most draft picks do um, as soon as they're picked. You know, he went, you know, he came home from Kansas City, got home and then went right into the facility, did a press conference. And, you know, it's it was you know pretty cool to see. Yeah. And when you think about Joey Porter Jr. as a guy who very confident i think as for people in the last building that he was going to break that streak mark brendan um you know talking about it at, at pro day it wasn't a matter of if i'm a first round pick it was when i'm a first round pick so in order in terms of rebounding from a thursday night like that and we'll talk about the scenario that played out for will levis in a bit and, and penn state's quarterback sean clifford but in terms of joy porter you're there waking up friday and you're thinking, you're wondering, okay, the Steelers have this first pick. They must be fielding calls there. It's a very popular trade spot, that first pick of round two. Everybody's got time to, to bargain and put their chips on the table. And yet they stand pat and they do make that almost predictable pick in Joey Porter Jr. setting up this awesome story to shape up in Pittsburgh. 
Yeah, I mean, it's great. That part of it is great for him. I mean, it's we were we were kidding with Daniel about uh, picking him to go to the Steelers. Was it 17 in that area? Mm-hmm. And uh, it was just a natural pick because his father played there and he grew up in Pittsburgh. And, you know, he played high school ball with Tomlin's kids and all these things. You know, the thing that sucks for him is that if – and I spelled this out in a little piece that I did. If he's the last pick of the first round – you know he's going to sign a contract for eleven plus million. Instead, he's going nine plus million. Now I'm not going to cry for Joey Porter Jr. making nine million bucks, but two million dollars is two million dollars. That was a pretty big hit. But all of that said, I don't know that he could have fallen into a better position, a, be- a, a better spot. I mean, people in Pittsburgh love him. It's a, a an established program with with a, a tough defense. Uh, it's it's going to work out really well, and he's going to be a good good corner in the league. I think the thing that worked against him was his lack of interception numbers, you know, because he he tested really well to combine. He has that ridiculous length. I think he had the the longest wingspan or tied for the longest wingspan of all the DBs. Uh, just you know everything he checked every single box except for the interception. Mm-hmm. And I guess that was enough to, to to kind of put him over the edge. I know people said that he was like too handsy and too physical. You know, we we talked about that during his career here, and I remember talking to Joey or to uh, Terry Smith early in his career. And the thing that Terry told me, and obviously Terry knows what the hell he's doing, coach, coaching quarterbacks, because if you look at what he's done in the in recent years, is that you for, for a cornerback to be that tough and physical. You can't coach that into them. You would rather them be overly physical and, and, and get too many penalties early in their career because you can dial that back. And I think that might have been one other thing that people may have been looking at was a couple years ago he had all those penalties. He dialed that back this past year, and you know I, I think that may have been held against him a little bit unfairly. But end of the day, he's going to make a lot of money. He ended up in a great spot. And, you know, good for him that, that it worked out the way that it did after. And then the other thing I think that, that Daniel referenced, you know, Will Levis kind of took him off the hook because being in that room, being a first rounder, a projected first rounder who's not going in the green room and the camera's on you the whole time, that's got to be difficult. I mean, I actually felt bad for Levis. I don't think his agent or the people around him did him any favors by not saying, hey, stop moping around. I mean, act as if you're, you're there kind of enjoying yourself. We know this is difficult for you, but I don't think that projection was good at all, and it would have been interesting if jo- if they had the cameras on Joey. I wonder if it might have been a little bit different dynamic. I don't know, uh, but I just thought that was a terrible dynamic for Will Levis. I feel bad for him. It was a tough spot, but someone's got to give him advice as that's going on and say, Will, you're on camera every f- 10 minutes here. You know, stop looking like like this is the end of the world. I mean, things are still going to go well for you, which for Joey Porter Jr. they still did go well for him. Uh, to, and and I agree to something like the memes that were developed out of this thing. I mean, you've seen them by now. But look, if you're watch, watching your you know your potential number two, three, four fortunes dwindle down to day two stock all of a sudden, and and what you're able to do. I mean, your face is going to reflect the the emotions that you're probably feeling, and and if you're out there with a smile you need, on your, your face, your agent better step in and say something. That's what I'm saying. I, I get it. I mean, he's a relatively young guy. I mean, he's going to be 24 relatively soon, but uh, your agent needs to step in there and say, "Hey, listen, try to put a smile on your face. 
try to act as if you're enjoying this process as difficult as it may be, because that is going to be the lasting memory of Will Levis. I mean, it, it, it is. And even if he's successful, they're going to go back draft after draft. The next guy who is stuck in that green room, they're going to say, oh, look, let's go back. Remember Will Levis? This is how difficult – was it Brady Quinn was in that same situation years ago? And they went back to him year after year after year after year. And that's my only point, Tyler. I get that he was he was crushed. I get that that was difficult. I get that it wasn't easy. But your agent's standing to make a lot of money. And these people, their job is to make you look good. And having that look the entire first round, I don't think was a great look for him. And again, I don't, I don't blame him. I blame his agent and the people around him for not saying, hey, boost your spirits a little bit, buddy. I'm, I'm sure Daniel remembers Aaron Rodgers wore that look for a long time on a Saturday afternoon back in 2004. Uh, they went back to that. Doctor. They went um, back to that during the draft. Worked out well for um, him. <laughs> yeah, so look, that, that's probably longer than I anticipated spending on Will Levis, but he ends up going to the Tennessee Titans at pick 33. Um, and, and and we were all kind of of the mind that, wow, you know, I think every time the beat would get together, the Penn State beat, and we'd talk about the draft, and Will Levis would come up, and you'd be like, did you see the latest mock draft? You know, whether it was last season, last summer, or this spring, and it's showing Will Levis going top 10. Those of us who covered him here for three years closely and then obviously had some interest when he went to Kentucky – not to not to you know put any salt in the wound of Will Levis here after he plummets, but it was always kind of hard to wrap our heads around that. I, I don't think I'm alone in, in speaking that and, and stating that. But then you've got a guy like Anthony Richardson. How much has he proven on, on a Power Five college football field? And he does go number four overall to the Colts. So Will Levis ultimately 33, 33rd pick is a pretty good spot to land. Um, and and as we discussed with him several times in the past, he got his opportunity as QB one in Lexington. Turned into a career as a two-year starter, 17-7 and seven during that stretch. A degree from Penn State, a, a degree from Kentucky. And because of what happened in the draft, he'll be one of the more de divisive members of this rookie class at the quarterback position. He goes to an interesting spot. You've got Ryan Tannehill, uh, a guy who's probably wearing out his welcome to this point in Tennessee with his contract, with the way that things have gone. Uh, they drafted a quarterback last year in round three, Malik Wills, out of uh, Liberty. Seems like they may be ready to explore other options that are younger, and Will Levis going to fit that bill. Let's get into it with Sean Clifford before we go any further, because if Joey Porter was the headliner here as the first guy off the board, and, and Mark, you noted this, he is the highest picked defensive back in Penn State history. May not be that first round pick, but the highest off the board ever at the defensive back position from Penn State is Joey Porter. Sean Clifford, though, here's his name called, and he doesn't have to wait deep in around seven as a, a potential missed or irrelevant guy. He goes round five to the Green Bay Packers, and, and look, there were some eyebrows raised when he had that top 30 visit to Green Bay during the uh, pre-visit, pre-draft uh, uh, process, ultimately comes to fruition with him being a round five pick. He goes 149 overall. And and Daniel Gallon, you can spearhead this as a guy that, you know, you've worn that Green Bay Packers fanhood pretty openly. Um, you've watched a lot of Sean Clifford. What do you make of this? And, and we have to know, Clifford, we picked undrafted free agent across the board here. And he wasn't on a lot of top 400 to 500 NFL draft prospects lists. He goes round five. So this surprised a lot of people. And if you follow the social media after this pick, you probably picked on the, up on that pretty quickly. Yeah, this, this was one when going back through the predictions and, and how we all fared that yeah, it was one that probably have to wear, um, you know, pretty, pretty hard because I did not really see that coming. 
Um, I think, you know, we've talked kind of ad nauseum about everything that Clifford had working against him uh, in this process. And, you know, there was the college production. The tape wasn't always the best. It was up and down. You know, we know what his intangibles are. We know that he's decently athletic. Um, and he showed that off with his testing. Um, but, yeah, I think it's a I think it's an interesting spot for him. I think it's a potentially good spot um, in terms of going in, being behind someone like Jordan Love, who is, you know, really set to take um, you know, over that starting job. You know, I think it'll be interesting to see what the competition looks like if they bring in a veteran uh, quarterback that to compete for that number two job or if Sean Clifford is going to have the chance to compete to be a backup. I think that that would be a really, really good outcome for him. Um, you know, it's an offense that you know, we, we saw the numbers that Aaron Rodgers was putting up in that offense when it was clicking. So we know that it is quarterback friendly. And um, I think that from everything that we've talked about, you know, he's played in a lot of different offenses. He's really intelligent guy. Um, he's a leader. And yeah, I think that he'll have the chance to, to prove something. And, you know, we've, we've talked a lot about uh, his competitive fire and, and all of that. And, you know, he said he was snubbed from the combine that came up again in his first meeting uh, with um, Green Bay media. And you know, he said it was just an, another thing to to drive him. And I think getting drafted after, you know, really no one expected him to. That's just kind of a another thing for him to add. So, you know, it was the probably the biggest surprise of, of, of Saturday. <laughs> um, that was something that I, I really did not see coming. Um, I thought it was really, you know, from a the big, big picture NFL perspective, I thought it was curious at that point, you know, with the quarterbacks that were available and, and what that, what Clifford's draft grade was. But, you know, as is the case, you know, maybe those NFL evaluators were a little bit higher uh, on what they saw from, from Clifford than, you know, what we had from his body of work. And he's entering a quarterback. I mean, you could have thrown a dart at the board guessing where Sean Clifford was going to land. We thought it was going to be partially his decision as an undrafted free agent, but to land not only in round five, but with this particular team. They showed some commitment today to Jordan Love, uh, working out a contract extension there. Clearly they're invested as him as their QB1 here in 2023, but he's thrown 83 passes in regular season action as a quarterback in the NFL through three seasons. They made that round one investment back in 2000. It's time to figure out if it was a good investment. It's time to figure out if, if the, the Green Bay Packers have their next quarterback. And Danny Etling is the only other guy on that roster and he's 28 years old and hasn't thrown a single regular season pass. And so enter Sean Clifford and, and Mark Brennan, he was adamant about being snubbed at the draft. And if, if the, if anyone's wearing egg on their faces, the people who come up with that list, I guess, I mean, look, look, were the Packers an outlier where they the only team out of 32 here was going to pounce on him. I can't imagine. I have to imagine the Packers had a little bit of urgency here to at least, survey the room and figure out there were some other suitors for Sean Clifford to make this kind of a pick in round five. If not, man, they went out and they really wanted Sean Clifford and they really wanted to add him to this quarterback room. Uh, but Sean Clifford proved himself right and proved a lot of people wrong in how the discussion and the narrative was driving from the finish of the Rose Bowl to the start of Saturday's picks. Daniel said, you know, they may go out. We'll see if they add a veteran quarterback. They did add a veteran quarterback. They did. Clifford's older than Jordan, Jordan Love. Love. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, so they they added their veteran quarterback. This is this, this is him, as the, as the kids say. He's him. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> we had Tyler falling away from the microphone uh, on that one. But, hey, listen, if you go back and watch the podcast on uh, or listen to the podcast last Thursday, 
the one thing, and I don't, I don't, I, I'm paraphrasing, but I think we all kind of agreed that if he get, if he got into a camp, he was going to have a, a, a decent shot to make a team. And and so so I think in fairness to 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 our horrendous picks, I think we were probably judging more based on what the experts were saying. Uh, you know, the people who actually follow the draft year round uh, th- than what we kind of knew. I mean, I, this goes to show you a couple things, you know, uh, number one, it takes one team to like you. That's it. W- would somebody else have picked him? I don't know, but it, it, it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter because now he was picked and, he, and he's going to have a, a decent opportunity to make this team. The other thing is, what do we know about Sean Clifford? He's carried himself like a professional from the time he's, he's he got to Penn State. Outside of one incident early in his career when he was redshirting, where he broke his hand or whatever, uh, you know, in a in a weight room thing that was just really silly. The guy carried himself like a pro the whole time, and the, the, people pay pay attention. And when you're looking for a third team quarterback, Daniel touched on this. He played for multiple coordinators, showed he could absorb uh, offenses quickly. Doesn't have the greatest arm in the world, but was a winner. You know, he had these th- all these things going for him. And if you look at a an ideal third-team quarterback, he checks a lot of those boxes. And again, it takes one team to like you, and the Packers did. It was funny because we had a group text going, and I, I was joking, saying the Packers are on a clock. They just got their pick, and this has to be Clifford. Joking. And uh, it was. And I was like, what? This actually happened. But good for him. Because you know what? The guy's been nothing but cool with us the whole time. Uh, at this point, I've said it before. His Penn State career, as, when his Penn State career is over, I'm able to be a Sean Clifford fan. I'm not sure how Green Bay fans are thinking about it, but I'm hoping he does really well. And uh, I think he's got a good shot to make this roster. I really do, just because of the way he carries himself and what he's done. 46 career starts, four-time team captain, Sean Clifford, newest Green Bay Packer in that quarterback room, and he's getting to work now. Uh, we'll see how, how it works out. I said before I, that I liked his chances to get preseason game reps wherever he landed, however it happened, to survive on a roster that long. Well, he's going to get plenty of preseason game reps as long as he's available for this team come August because you don't draft a quarterback and put him on a shelf. They're going to get a, a long look at what they have this August to kind of sort through that depth chart. We'll see if they had a, a, a league veteran, as Daniel referenced there. Uh, but, but Sean Clifford's in a pretty good spot for year one. Speaking and one other thing, the video of yeah. him, the video of him be, when he was Tremendous, picked, yeah. Wow. I mean, that, yeah. that tells you where this kid's heart is. You know, when you see the, the way that – and then with his family and Hawk Sauce was there and everything, I mean, that was just absolutely cool. So sorry to interrupt you, Tyler, but I just I, – I thought that was worth mentioning. Yeah, the emotions were there. They usually are with Sean Clifford. He channels them, and uh, we've seen that throughout his career, and, and he'll take the next step. And I, I mentioned uh, on Thursday that the name that seemed to be ascending later in the draft process was Brenton Strange. You saw him creeping up the mock draft boards. Sometimes the experts do have it right, and they were in, in, correct in the case of Brenton Strange. As he climbed all the way inside of round two, guys. Uh, third consecutive starting quarterback, starting tight end, I should say, for Penn State, selected in the second round, Mike Kosicki, Pat Fryermuth, and now Brenton Strange, who goes to the Jacksonville Jaguars, pick 61, so just shy of that round three setup. And Doug Peterson adds a tight end, adds a weapon for Trevor Lawrence here. What do you make of the pick, Daniel Gallon? 
this was one that was really interesting on on Sunday morning going through and, and looking at draft grades um, and how people in the moment were reacting and even with a little bit of reflection. And I think among the the Penn State players who were picked, I think the Strange pick and the Clifford pick were the two that maybe had had the lowest grades. And, you know, I think that some of it is positional value, guys who are still on the board, um, you know, the whether that was a real need for Jacksonville or whatever. But, you know, I think when you look at it in the vacuum, you know, it's great for Brenton Strange. Uh, before the Rose Bowl, uh, we were uh, at Beaver Stadium for that availability and we were chatting with him and he had said that he hadn't made a decision yet, but, you know, reading between the lines and the way that the past tense was being used, you know, I think that you could do some inferring that, you know, he was going to go to the draft. And he said that he'd been hearing, you know, second or third rounds uh, for his draft stock. And a couple of us kind of raised our eyebrows and, you know, because, you know, you look at Strange and he's isn't that Pat Fryermuth body type. He didn't have that, you know, wire to wire production, you know, that would catch some eyes. But I think the fact that he is such a well-rounded player uh, and that he is, you know, versatile, you know, he, he talked about it uh, with Jacksonville media where, you know, he said he can play split out wide. He can play in line. He can play H back. He can play fullback. You know, that's a, someone who can do um, a variety of different things. And I, I think that, you know, joining a, a Doug Peterson and press Taylor offenses, you know, could be a good fit for him. Um, you know, Doug Peterson likes 12 personnel, likes putting two tight ends out there. And Evan Ingram was someone who, you know, has been successful. So, when you're going out there with a tight end who's already, you know, a known quantity. Um, I think that helps you a little bit. You know, you get to play with Trevor Lawrence. <laughs> I think I buried the lead there a little bit. It's hard to say no to that, um, you know, as a offensive skill player. Um, so I think that it's going to be a good fit for strange. Um, you know, I think that is pretty happy to see, you know, him get this opportunity and to go that high. I thought that was pretty cool as someone who, like I said, a bunch this year did a ton of dirty work for this team. Um, and whose contributions are going to be, I think, pretty difficult to to replace in a couple areas. So, yeah, I think I had him going in the second round. I wasn't super surprised by that, but it, you know, it was kind of it was nice to see the you know, what some of these pundits who had him ascending, you know, to kind of see that validated. Yeah, we I think uh, Brendan and I had him in round three, relatively correct range. And Tyler Calvaruso, we pointed this out Thursday, could break him. It did. He had Brenton going uh, round five. So that 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 hurt young Tyler Calvaruso in his forced foray in, in our mock, mock draft here at Penn State. He'll get another shot next spring. By the way, I noted that the consecutive streak right now at tight end with, with back-to-back-to-back second-round picks, and they've got the goods in that room to maybe do that again next year. But uh, quarterback, Sean Clifford, this is, wasn't a kind of a, an, an – a note we expected to be reading off, but you know, upon further review, three straight starting quarterbacks selected out of Penn State in the draft. Um, I'm discluding Will Levis from the conversation. He did start a, a couple games uh, in place of an injured Sean Clifford in 2020, uh, 2019, and then in place of a bench Sean Clifford in 2021, but those were sporadic. But the, the guys who have been mainstays of starters, Hackenberg goes round two in 2016, McSorley goes round six in 2019, and then you've got Sean Clifford going round five here in 2023. Um, the, the you got to go way back, two decades before that, and, and, and the last time a quarterback was selected uh, out of Penn State to play quarterback at that level, Wally Richardson, Baltimore Ravens grabbed him round seven in 1997. Michael Robinson, of course, shined at quarterback during his career here with the Nittany Lions, but was drafted to be a converted running back with the Seattle Seahawks when they got him in round four in 2006. So. 
James Franklin's first three starting quarterbacks, of course, he inherited Christian Hackenberg, all selected in the draft after a 20-year period where uh, you had a round seven guy go, and, and, and that's it for the quarterback spot out of Penn State. So pretty notable there. Uh, Mark, anything to add on the Brenton Strange pickup? And then let's segue right into the fact that he gets to carry over a teammate from Happy Valley, Parker Washington. Uh, waits a while, as we thought he might with the injury question coming off of 2022. He goes to the Jaguars later in round six. Yeah, on, on Strange, you know, one thing about Doug Peterson we know is that he doesn't really require his tight ends to be great blockers. You know, we've seen that with him and the Eagles. And, that, you know, I don't mean to knock Brenton Strange, but he's clearly a receiving-focused uh, tight end. Not that he can't block. He can, but he's not just that big, huge, physical you know, dominating big, bigger type. In terms of Parker Washington, you know, you know good for him. He said he was going to gamble on himself. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm sure he wished he would have gone, uh, would have been taken earlier. Uh, but I, I don't know. I mean, I go back and forth on it because I think if he came back, I think he could have improved his draft stock. Um, I, I really do. And I think just the fact of where he was taken – is evidence of that. This was a guy who, and for people who haven't followed it closely, missed the final two regular season games and then the bowl game uh, with an ankle injury uh, and then was unable to to do anything at the NFL Combine and then couldn't really do anything other than bench press at Pro Day. And so he had no ability to work out. So everybody's going basically based on his tape. Uh, but as I said, I think he's going to be a guy who hopefully has the opportunity if he's not ready that they could just stash him on an injured list and he could redshirt. And I think he's going to be a good NFL prospect. I was a little surprised, at least on the NFL network that they really didn't talk much at all uh, about him, uh, about his injury. You know, they just talked about what a really good receiver he is, how he can do things uh, in the middle of the field that a lot of people can't do. And, you know, one thing that we've seen recently in the NFL is some of these kind of receivers who almost look like running backs. And that's what this guy is. You put the ball in his hands, he could do some things. And I think he could also help you on special teams as a punt return guy, which we saw at Penn State. He wasn't exceptional in that area, uh, but he was good enough. So I think he's going to be able to help them in a lot of ways. I just hope that he's able to get over the injury sooner rather than later. And if he can't, you know, I think he's in a, in a program – and playing for a coach, a really good coach, uh, who knows that you can afford to redshirt a kid like this if need be. We addressed this in the pre-draft episode, but Parker Washington knew that his recovery timeline essentially matched the timeline to the selection process this past weekend. And we don't know exactly where he lands on that timeline, if he was ahead of schedule and uh, if he was behind schedule, and that may have scared some teams and how that's going to impact his availability for on-field work uh, this spring, this summer before his rookie season. But I'll tell you what, if he is back to form here in 2023 or even 2024, you're talking about tremendous value, day two value in a day six pick. And you've got to, I mean, in a, in a round six pick, I should say, and you've only got to pay him like a round six player, no matter you know, how much value you're getting out of him for the next three or four years before you get into that conversation for the next contract. And hopefully Parker Washington is able to really assert himself within this offense in the next couple of seasons, earn that second contract. Uh, but it is hard to ignore the fact that we're expecting some fireworks for this passing game. We're kind of looking around, wondering who are the receivers that's going to step up, another two guys, another one guy at least. And then you're kind of looking at Parker Washington, and he wouldn't have been available all spring. He talked about it. Look, if, if I'm at Penn State, I'm still recovering from an injury. No guarantees. I, I'm back to where I want to be. 
And so he'll go through that process and, and follow that path uh, in the NFL from a guy who, who maybe doesn't get the result that, that you expected coming out of last season to someone who exceeded expectations uh, outside of Sean Clifford. The biggest surprise was Juice Scruggs hearing his name called uh, much earlier than a lot of us anticipated round two, one pick after Brendan strange goes off the board. He heads off the board. In fact, he, he said he was just speaking with a, or he was just hearing from Brendan strange and, and, and uh, or just saw that Brendan strange was drafted. He was getting ready to reach out to him. And then his phone blew up and lo and behold, it's the Houston Texans who say, Come on board with us, Drew Scruggs. Called it an emotional moment. Pick 62, round two, and this offensive line produces a, a second round. We, so much talk about Olu Fashionu, but let's take a moment. Drew Scruggs, what he meant to this season last year, Daniel Gallen, and how it's reflected in his draft stock. This guy was ejected from a vehicle as a freshman here on campus, and you really had to wonder if he would have the athletic physical wherewithal to get to the point to complete his Penn State career. He did as a team captain, as a two-year starter, and now as a round two pick of the Houston Texans. It, it's a really cool story. Uh, and I think that when, you know, in terms of these unexpected picks, that was one that you were you know, really, really happy to see. And you know, it's going to be an interesting situation, you know, going into a team that is rebuilding like that. But you know, he's going to get to play with CJ Stroud, who there are really, really high expectations for uh, as, a, as a signal caller. Um, number two overall pick. So it's a it's a cool situation for cool situation for him to step into there. But you know, I, I think that he's someone who you know, just kind of brings a lot to your team. Um, he has that interior versatility. Um, I believe he said the focus is going to be on center, but we know that he can play the guard spots, and you know, we know that he really grew into his team captain role. Um, you know, with with all the talk about you know, where are the leaders going to come this year. I think that Juice Scruggs is a good example of you know, sometimes you got to give it time uh, and that it has to be an organic process because he talks about that you know, it took him a while to become comfortable using his voice to you know, become comfortable, you know, kind of as- asserting himself in those situations. And, you know, he did it. And I-, I think that you were able to see the results there. I mean, he really was the glue that held that offensive line together. Um, it's going to be you know, pretty big to replace him next year. Um, but I think that he's, you know, he's getting his opportunity and, um, you know, I think there's going to be reps available for him at, at some point. And, you know, he's going to be playing with a young ascending quarterback. So you know, it could turn out to be a very, very good long-term situation for him. They team him up real quick with uh, CJ Stroud out of Ohio state. And, and we got on a phone call uh, on zoom actually with, with juice Scruggs about 45 minutes after he was picked on Friday, which we really appreciated Juice for, for inviting some local media to that. But he talked about pairing up with, with C.J. Stroud as his new quarterback, said putting everything to the side, uh, the Ohio State Penn st- stuff, all that matters now is winning game for the Houston Texans. And it you can just tell how much he already loves the Houston Texans because he wasn't expecting to go this high. He admitted as such. He said Houston was on his radar. His agent told him they should be on his radar but he was not expecting round two. I think Juice Scruggs even told us at the pro day he had been hearing, you know, round five, round six, but he was staying optimistic. He was thinking more round three, round two. And you're thinking, oh, well, it's, it's good to stay optimistic that, you know, you walk away from the conversation thinking that's probably how I would feel if I was getting ready for the draft. But if you're hearing rounds five, round six, that, that probably is where you're going to land. In this case, Juice Scruggs' uh, optimism was rewarded. And, uh, Mark, this is one of those stories that you encounter sometimes in college athletics where you know guys are do so much behind the scenes, battling behind the scenes, that if you're not paying attention, you just don't know what the story is. And Juice Scruggs, for a while, 
we wondered if he would get a chance to be a viable power five offensive lineman again. Not only did he do that, he played more snaps in game action last year than anyone else in the locker room for the Nittany Lions. Yeah, well, think about it. If you're an NFL team and you know his story and you see what this guy fought through, to get back on the field. And I, and I wonder if that didn't play into it. I haven't heard what the GM down there had to say about it, but I have to imagine that they looked at it, you know, in an era where you see guys just throwing careers away or not working hard. I know it's cliche, but has there been anybody who's lent more perspective to, 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 to what being a college football player means than a guy like Juice Scruggs, you know, coming back from that injury and, and working his way, you 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 kind of spelled it out, and you could tell on the Zoom call with us that that he was still emotional. I mm-hmm. mean, this is nothing that this guy takes for granted, and I'm that's why I'm really excited to see how. I I don't think he's near his potential yet, and I'll bet you they also saw that as well. You know, I mean, for offensive linemen, we know it takes years and years and years to become as good as you need to be. You know, a Drew Shelton is is just unique in terms of a player who's able to come in and play immediately. But then you add in the car accident and how much that set him back and what he's had to overcome and climb. I mean, it's just a a tremendous story. And again, when you talk about guys that we can really be fans of, uh, you know, he's obviously going to be one of them. Just super humble. Uh, That Zoom call, I was just so impressed by the way he carried himself and how open he was. And I mean, he was on the verge of tears during that Zoom call. And that's kind of, I have to imagine again, when he was talking to NFL personnel, that authenticity kind of came through. And all of that is above and beyond what he showed on the field as a player, because none of that matters unless he can play. And obviously they think he can play. And I think he can too. I think he's going to be a good versatile lineman in the NFL for a long time. And one other thing that I really took away from that call with Juice was his admiration, his respect, um, the emotions that poured out of him when he was talking about Phil Troutwine. Uh, he, you know, that was one of the first conversations he had after the Texans picked him. It was like one of the previous conversations he had before the Texans picked him. Uh, the coach was in, in communication with him throughout this process, and he gave a lot of credit to Phil Troutwine. He said it wasn't easy you know, meeting and, and linking up during the COVID year when these guys couldn't even have real practices and they're trying to communicate and learn how to play the position via Zoom. But we've seen the steps that have been made on the football field for Penn State, most notably last year. We've seen the steps that have been made on the recruiting trail in targeting these top offensive linemen and assembling impressive offensive line classes under Phil Troutwine. This is the next piece of the puzzle that you can sell uh, on the recruiting trail that you can sell within your building. Phil Troutwine is now going to get guys, help get guys drafted. And Juice Scruggs going round two really is a nice stage setter. Now you've got Olu Fashion who being projected as a top 10 pick next year. You look across this offensive line, the potential there in the coming years – but th- this could really uh, start something that we haven't seen from Penn State, which is you know, successive, legitimate NFL prospects coming off of your offensive line, not just sporadic late-round picks here and there. That could represent a new chapter for this program, potentially, Daniel. Hold on. You haven't seen it, Tyler. I've seen it. Oh, I you've seen it. it. I saw yeah, it in yeah, the yeah. 90s, the early, the early 80s. I've seen, I've seen it, me, so it's good to see it kind let of Let me correct. Back. In this century. Yeah, in this century. Let <laughs> yeah. me, uh, and, and more importantly, during the Franklin era, which yeah. I know that is something that Franklin has been so verbal about over the years until last year when he refused to get verbal about his offensive line. But it has been uh, harping on that subject for a long time. And I, I think, you know, 
Phil Troutwine, he's already got uh, s- some nice feathers in his cap from Boston College and what those guys have done and record-setting deals in the NFL and that. But I think he's going to start putting those together now with Penn State and Juice Scruggs, a uh, big step in the right direction. Yeah, I think Scruggs is one of those, um, you know, kind of a, a symbol of, you know, what there, what things there are to come from this offensive line uh, in terms of the development and the strides that he was really able to make um, under Phil Troutwine. I think that it shows Phil Troutwine's, you know, what he can do as a developer of talent, um, which, you know, a lot of these guys that we're going to be talking about, especially Olu with next year, they were guys who were already here when Phil Troutwine got here and are already in the fold. And so, you know, he was, he's really been able to develop them. And, you know, as time goes on, I think you're going to, we're going to see what it looks like when he's able to identify talent on the recruiting trail and then develop it. Um, and with the recruiting that Penn State has done on the offensive line these past couple of years, you know, Phil Troutwine is setting that bar really, really high. So I think that this offensive line is going to be, you know, really interesting to follow with a lot of stops and starts, I think, in terms of it getting to where it needs to be. But I think that right now it's I don't know if the right metaphor is if you know we're at the top of the wave right now and it's about the crest or or what. But I think that the offensive line is in a good place and Drew Scruggs really shows that. All right, we're going to dive into a bunch of recruiting conversation in just a moment with Tyler Calvaruso. But before we finish up the rookie class conversation, we got to address the undrafted free agents. Uh, still you waiting for me. Oh my gosh. <laughs> uh, thank you. Jair Brown. That's what I get for bouncing around and going to the, the He's fifth been overlooked his whole life. He's got, <laughs> he's been, and, and now I'm guilty of it. And, and I never wanted to be part of that company. You're in so. trouble, dude. You have <laughs> no idea how, what this guy is capable of in terms of that, holding a chip <laughs> on his shoulder. Jair Brown round three pick of the San Francisco 49ers. Now this is one that I think we were all pretty close on Mark. You had him going a bit earlier to the Philadelphia Eagles. They did pick a safety there. It wasn't Jair Brown. And to the San Francisco 49ers benefit, he gets a phone call from one of my favorites back in the day, Hall of Fame safety John Lynch, uh, welcoming him aboard to what already figures to be one of the NFL's premier defenses. And this is a guy I think is going to play a bunch from from year one. Uh, And and since you reminded me of this, Daniel, save the day and tell everybody about Jair Brown going in the NFL draft. (laughs) Yeah, you know, I think the third round was where uh, you know a lot of us had him pegged. I know that there were some differing opinions uh, through the various analysts on where he ranked on on the safety board. Um, I think that he was someone that might have fallen a little bit throughout the process. Just ba- when you know the athletic testing came back, you know, you look at uh, some of the like the Illinois safeties tested out of this world. Um, I believe at the combine and at their pro day, which I think helped boost them a little bit. Um, whereas with Jair Brown, you know, it's a lot of, you know, you watch the film uh, and you can really see what he's capable of. But I think when you talk about fits, this is another one that I think is really good. Um, he started at the top with John Lynch um, as you know someone who, you know, played the position at a high level, you know, really knows what he's doing, wanted Jair Brown. Um, and then, you know, going down, um, you know, the starting safeties right now are, Tayshawn Gibson, who's 32 years old, and then Hufanga, who is was an All-Pro last year in his second year. Um, you know, so Jair Brown doesn't necessarily need to come in right away. Uh, the 49ers did lose Jimmy Ward, who I believe played kind of like a hybrid nickel sometimes at safety. 
uh, spot for them. And so there could be reps uh, back there, but you know, it's a defensive unit. They did lose D'Amico Ryans to, to Houston, but you know, Steve Wilkes has a very good track record as a defensive coordinator. Um, so there are going to be opportunities, I think, for him to get onto the field. And I think like we showed, like he showed at Penn State, when he's on the field, he's probably going to be around the football and he's probably going to be making plays. Um, so, you know, who knows how, how different this defense might look um, and what that means for him. But you know, I think based off of what San Francisco has been, how their defensive uh, back play has been recently and you know, the kind of infrastructure that's around that safety spot. Yeah, I think this is a, a great spot for Jair Brown. Such a cool story. Brisker in the NFL with the Bears. Now you got Jair Brown in the NFL with the San Francisco 49ers. Um, long careers ahead of each of those guys and, and, and certainly unique paths, especially in the case of Jair Brown and what he had and what he did not have coming out of high school. Thank you very much for circling me back there. I got so excited by the Sean Clifford uh, news that I had to jump right into it. So I, I, I apologize for leapfrogging over Jair Brown between round, uh, round two and five. All right, guys, undrafted free agent time. I'm just going to throw all the names out there that have signed thus far. Perhaps we'll see guys like Barney and Moore, Jake Pinnegar, Nick Tarburton land on rosters here in the coming hours, the coming days. But to this point, as far as we understand, on Tuesday, uh, they have not signed. But four undrafted free agents were picked up pretty quickly. Jonathan Sutherland and Chris Stoll, special team standouts for Penn State, both going to the Seattle Seahawks. Wide receiver Mitchell Tinsley following Jahan Dotson into the Washington Commanders receiver room. And then P.J. Mustafer, who went on drafted. Uh, that's not the outcome that we anticipated. We had him in round seven, so you knew that could be part of the forecast there. Um, he goes on drafted, quickly gets picked up by the Denver Broncos. You want to talk about that value of getting a guy at the right time coming off of how he finishes a college career. Maybe Denver uh, gets a, a potential long-time fit for them in the defensive line room for the price of an undrafted free agent with P.J. Mustafer. Those are the four guys who have homes for now. Uh, each of you want, uh, feel free to spotlight one or two um, before we get to Tyler Calvaruso to break down some latest in Nittany Lions recruiting. I thought – Go ahead. Yeah, I thought Chris Stoll's landing spot was, was interesting because in talking to him at Pro Day – you know, he was very, you know, realistic about what he was facing, you know, going in as a long snapper, which is such a very particular position. And you know, he said that there's 32, jo- there's 32 jobs and zero of them were open. Uh, well, it turns out he landed with the one team or one of the teams where one was open. The Seahawks don't have a long snapper on their roster right now. So when you talk about potential sort of plug and play opportunities, you don't necessarily think about that from the undrafted free agent perspective, but it does seem like Crystal has a landing spot where he's going to get a chance to, you know, potentially carve out his spot. Um, and if you're good at this, you can do it for a long time. So it's going to be very, very, you know, I think, fun to see what happens for him. Yeah, I thought it was tough for PJ. I mean, I think if you go back and look at him pre-injury, I don't think any of us would have guessed that he would have been anything less than a third or fourth round draft pick. But, you know, the fact of the matter is he gets banged up in in 2021, never quite looked the same in 2022. Then he goes out to the combine, runs a 5-4-1. Now, listen, defensive tackles aren't going to be asked to run 40 yards very often. But unfortunately, you know, you look at some of his testing numbers, they weren't that great. And then he chose not to test at at pro day, which tells me he didn't th- probably didn't think he was going to do a whole lot better. And I just think he, he's just a big human being, and I think it's taking him a while to come back from that injury. And my hope for PJ is that he's able to return 
at some point to pre-injury form because I think if he does, he's a guy who could be a 10-year pro. But that's a big if with a, a, a person, you know, they had him listed at pro day at um, uh, 319 pounds. That's a big human being. And, you know, with your knees. So, you know, knock on wood, let's hope that he's able to get back to full strength. Because, again, I think if he does, you know, when we're talking about Juice Scruggs and all the positives that he kind of brings, you know, P.J., Guy can't represent himself any better than than PJ Mustafer does. If you talk to him, I mean, you're just thoroughly impressed. He's he's a uh, bro- I think a broadcast journalism major, and whenever his career ends, he's going to have a long career in broadcast yeah. journalism. But just the I, I'm sure he impressed people in meetings and whatnot. I just think the reason that he fell it, it had to be because of the lack of athletic ability that he was able to show. And we know that he was better than that. I don't know his exact testing numbers pre-injury, but the production on the field, what you saw. I think you pointed this out multiple times, Tyler. This was a guy who uh, played in, what, five games or six games in 2021 and was still first-team All-Big Ten or up there on the All-Big Ten team. Second team, team. yep. Yeah, so people, people acknowledged how good he was, and he just didn't get back there this past year. So hopefully he's able to get you know, however long it takes, if he can get to that level, I think he has a chance to have a nice long pro career. Jason Gabinda, Ryan Bates, uh, some of the more recent success stories of guys who didn't have the draft status going into the league and have, have carved out a nice career for themselves. And, and just quickly to note, I think it's a nice fit for Mitchell Tinsley going into the Washington uh, commander's receiver room. They did not address the position during their draft. So so he's going in as, as a rookie, not facing any challengers from within the rookie class who, who do have that draft status. Terry McLaurin, Curtis Samuel, Jahan Dotson, Last season, all had 35-plus catches on the year. Jahan Dotson is going to have an expanded role. Hopefully, he can stay healthy and, and, and have an explosive season. But beyond those three wide receivers, not a single guy at the position had 10, 10 receptions all of last year. So uh, something to keep an eye on um, as, as these guys try to sort through uh, their new settings and, and try to battle to stay on a roster. It's something that Penn State tweeted, and we'll give them credit for this one, check the fine print. Uh, one of four schools to produce at least five draft picks in each of the last six NFL drafts, along with Alabama, Georgia, and Ohio State. So it's good company to be with there. Um, and you can make the numbers work for you a little bit with this draft stuff. But these classes have consistently been uh, some meat on the bones to them. And, and this one was no exception. We'll talk about the next draft class on our next episode because you want to talk about major potential for day one talent, they've got it on this Penn State roster. There's a lot to like about what's cooking here in Happy Valley from a talent standpoint. Mark, Daniel, appreciate you breaking down the draft after previewing it. It was a lot of fun covering this with you guys, our latest go-round. Uh, we'll do it again in 2024, but kind of getting uh, get to some recruiting with Tyler Calvaruso right now. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, Tyler. Yeah, thanks. We'll be right back on the Lions 24-7 podcast. All right, from the former Nittany Lions to the potential future ones, we bring in Tyler Calvaruzzo. How are you doing, Tyler? Doing well, man. Appreciate you having me back on. Yeah, we, we have plenty to discuss as usual, and a yeah. lot of it's going to land on this 2024 uh, recruiting class. And I, I know we, we're going to get in a little bit of basketball roster talk because there are some things cooking there. Uh, but let's begin by going back to last Friday. In the midst of all this draft excitement, Penn State did pick up another player. It was the third of the week for their 2024 recruiting class. And lo and behold, it's another Wisconsin standout. Yeah, they closed the deal on top 24-7 running back. 
Corey Smith from uh, Catholic Memorial High School teammates with Donovan Harbor. So you got the nice little uh, Catholic Memorial connection going on in this class. You know, those two are really excited to be teaming up the next level, man. It's something that they had discussed. And I, I think I mentioned it um, last time I was on Corey Smith, you know, during Blue White weekend, being at the Blue White game along with Donovan Harbor kind of sat back, saw him commit. And I think that really, he was already trending towards Penn State, but that really sealed the deal for him in a lot of ways. Those two were pretty hyped about taking their talents to Happy Valley. And, you know, just from an overall impact perspective, Smith adds something different to Penn State's running back room. You know, he adds a lot of versatility. He's more of, you know, a quicker, more elusive back with jump cut ability compared to some of the other guys Penn State has in the room. So it's a quality get. It's a get of value given what he brings on the versatility front. Penn State's happy to have him on board. Another weapon for Mike Erickson and the rest of the offensive staff. And, and with Smith, who's, who's just inside the top 24-7 right now and a four-star caliber prospect, pairing him up with Quentin Martin, as you mentioned, a couple different kind of prospects. And we're used to this with J1 Sider, multiple running backs in each class. I think the one exception was <clears throat> excuse me, it was back in 2001 when they brought in John Lovett via the transfer portal and didn't end up signing a high school running back. But other than that, it's been these tandems, whether it's uh, Devin Ford and, and Noah Kane or Kevon Lee and Kaziah Holmes, or of course, most recently and notably, uh, Nick, uh, Nick Singleton and Katron Allen. What do you make of this tandem following up what they've got in London Montgomery and Cam Wallace? Because certainly a couple of players who are further along, further established as running back recruits, whether you look at it by 24 assessment process, 24 seven assessment process, or, or what they've uh, actually put out there uh, in the prospect profile. Little London Montgomery accomplished a lot, but he lost some in, in the process by missing his last season. Yeah. So making this class a tandem was definitely always the goal for Penn state taking two backs in this class was always the plan for Jay one Sider and company. You know, you land the top guy on your board in that regard in Quentin Martin, you get off to a pretty good start. And then to add Smith, those two play off each other nicely. You know, Martin's a little bit more, he's not a true, true power back who all he does is put his shoulder down and run through you. There's a lot more to hit Martin's game than that, but he's more of the power kind of guy while Smith is the more elusive versatile I'm gonna to get to the edge and beat you in a lot of different ways kind of guy and you also have to keep in mind with Smith is when you throw on the tape and you look at the way Catholic Memorial has used him you know they get him on the edge split him out and get him on the edge running jet sweeps so this is a guy that they like to get the ball in space I think that's something Penn State has planned for him and like I said he's a different kind of back than what Penn State has in its room I think size wise the only guys really maybe comparable to is I mean, he's a little close to Cam Wallace and London Montgomery than the rest of the guys in the room right now, and that includes Quentin Martin coming in measurable-wise. That's kind of more where he's at. I like the upside of Penn State 2024 running back hall. I don't want to say I like it more than the 2023 hall because the jury's still out on those two. You know, I mean, Penn State loved London Montgomery coming out, and they still love him coming off the 20 ACL. They still think the upside's there. And, I mean, Cam Wallace, they build that as a very high-quality late-cycle pickup given his ability and just his ex overall explosiveness and how the, he can impact the game in multiple ways as a running back. So I, I think the upside in both classes is definitely there. But like you said, I mean, these guys, they're a pair of top 24-7 backs. They're very highly regarded. They had impressive offer sheets. So the pedigree is kind of already there. And I would say that heightens the expectations for this duo. You know, I'm going to be interested to see what these two accomplish as seniors. I think there is still a lot of room for growth for both. And I think there's a chance that they could get there as soon as this upcoming high school season. So Smith, Martin, it's a pretty good group. Montgomery Wallace before it, also a pretty good group. But I'm really liking the potential of this 2024 tandem. 
And and now three of the top four players in the Wisconsin composite rankings for the 2024 cycle. Badgers have undergone a coaching staff change. Donovan Harbor is the number one player on that board. He's committed to Penn State. Interior offensive lineman Corey Smith, his teammate, now committed to Penn State. And then, of course, earlier last week, Garrett Sexton out of Arrowhead High School in Heartland, Wisconsin, who's number four on the Wisconsin composite rankings, is on board with Penn State. This is quite the phenomenon playing out before our eyes, and and it's obviously impacting this 2024 class in a remarkable way. It is. And, you know, look, I mean, I really just feel like <coughs> you could talk all you want about whether or not or how heavily involved Wisconsin was involved with some of these in-state guys. But the fact of the matter is Penn State is expanding its recruiting footprint. We saw that play out last cycle, you know, them going into Alabama and getting guys. And now it's playing out again this cycle. And Wisconsin just happens to be the state where that is transpiring. I mean, look, man, me and you have been pretty, you know, kind of curious about Luke Fickle's in-state recruiting approach regarding some of those guys. You know, I, I think it's definitely raised some question marks. And maybe Penn State is, you know, I think they've kind of viewed that as an opportunity to slide in and take advantage and get some pretty talented players who are in Big Ten tw Big Ten territory. And I don't think this is going to be the last you see of Penn State expanding its footprint either. I, I think just the recent success the program has had, you know, the, the press that they're getting heading into this season, a lot of the expectations surrounding the program, the high hopes, it's going to keep – recruit who might not be in traditionally, you know, areas Penn State goes after a lot. It's going to keep guys who are out of region interested. And we've kind of seen it in California this cycle as well. You know, granted, they haven't closed on any of the guys out there, but they've gotten players from modern day on campus, which hasn't really happened in the past. I mean, they, they just had got high tier 2025 guys from California on campus. You know, Nate Frazier, the modern day running back, he's, he's talked about getting back out to Penn State for a visit. So, it's a phenomenon for sure from an immediate impact standpoint, but I think it, it's, it's something that has staying power. I think as Penn State goes on, they continue to have success on the trail. You're going to see more and more kind of maybe atypical recruits. Maybe that's the way to phrase it. You know, guys that Penn State wouldn't normally land showing more interest in the program and having more of a desire to make it to campus. And what do we always say when it comes to guys getting to campus? You get to Happy Valley and you check things out in person. Anything can happen at that point. Yeah, official visit season incoming uh, come June and, and camp season and all that. There's going to be a lot of eyes and, and a lot of boots on the ground here in Happy Valley. Uh, by the way, April summary for Jaywan Slater. He picks up Trey Potts, uh, Minnesota transfer, who will be on campus next week and start his career off and, and join that running back room. And then he gets uh, a couple of commitments there, uh, Quentin Martin, uh, and then, of course, the man we just mentioned in Smith. And 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 it's been a real – And by the way, a 2025 pickup. I'm underselling the man and, and, and Keandre Barker. So uh, really impressive April uh, for Jaywan Sider as he continues to keep it rolling in the running back room. So where do things stand in 2024 right now? It's 13 commitments on board. It's the number six class in the country. Quarterbacks is still uh, quarterback is still a missing component. We went over that a lot on the last episode with you, Tyler Calvaruso. But there has been a development, a new offer out there, and it's one of those guys you mentioned to keep on the radar last time. Yeah, Pet State wound up offering Trevor Jackson from Florida. His stock has been on the rise. You know, he's going to be going to the Elite Eleven Finals after a standout performance at the regional down there. He's definitely a prospect to know in that class now that he's got the offer from Penn State. You know, there's a lot to like with him from a physical standpoint. It goes beyond Jackson as well. I feel like there's been even more movement 
on the quarterback recruiting front since we last talked about it. You know, they got Cutter Bowley on campus late last week, top 50 2025 prospect who is, he's pondering a move to the 2024 class. He was originally supposed to be at 2024, decided to take a COVID year, and is now exploring the possibility of getting back into that 2024 class. And I know Penn State likes him as a 2024 quarterback prospect as that board continues to come together. So that's definitely a pretty important storyline to keep an eye on in this cycle, because if Bowley does decide that he wants to go 2024 and also the other thing important to note there is he has said that he's going to pick the school before he picks the class. So he's more intent on finding the right place for him before he decides which class he wants to be part of. But if he does indeed make that jump back to 2024, he's going to be right up there on the board alongside Michael Van Buren, who, while he's trending to Oregon, he's still uncommitted. And as things stand right now, his official visit, June official visit to Penn State on June 16th, it's still on. So Penn State's still alive. And they felt that you know, they've received some newfound optimism, you know, with uh, Oregon landing a quarterback in his 2024 class. Granted, I would say that Oregon's plan is still take two. And I still like where the Ducks stand with Van Buren. But Penn State's not giving up on Van Buren at all. They're going to keep fighting, and they're hoping that that official visit comes together. And if they do get him on campus, that's going to be their last crack at him before he announces his commitment on what he currently has scheduled for early July. So a lot of movement on the quarterback front in terms of the new offer with Jackson, you know, guys we've already been talking about for a while. And then Ethan Grunkmeyer as well, the recent offer from Ohio, 2024 prospect. He's going to be on campus May 10th. So there's a lot going on on the quarterback front as Penn State looks for its future signal caller in this class. Can we go back to Cutter Bowley? Because this one's really a fascinating dynamic in play now. Uh, number three quarterback in composite rankings for the 2025 class for now. Uh, number nine quarterback in, in, in terms of 24-7 sports evaluation. But either way, a highly regarded passer out of Lexington, Lexington Kentucky. And you said he, he wants to – I want to make sure I heard this right. He wants to pick a school before he picks his class, whether he's 2024 or 2025. That's what he said in an interview with Steve Wolfong. It seems like that's his plan right now. He wants to focus more on his landing spot than when exactly he'll be arriving on campus. So I know Penn State is one of the programs that likes him as a 24. Kentucky's another one. Florida State seems to like him more as a 25, which doesn't really yeah, surprise okay. me, considering they have Luke Cromanick committed in 24. I know Florida State checked in on Bowley, and there was kind of a question of why are we checking in on Cutter Bowley when we have Luke Cromanick committed you know what's the deal there but it looks like florida state likes him more as a 2025 and on the other side of that kentucky and penn state more so as a 2024 but if he decides to stay in 2025 those two programs i mean especially penn state obviously the one we could speak to they're going to stay on him just as they as hard as they are now they really like Bowley's game he's a top target at his position really regardless of class at this point yeah that, i just wanted that was interesting to me because i was wondering teams that have been you know recruiting him with 2025 in mind and recruiting others with 2024 in mind if all of a sudden this you know he's, he's changing up that course for himself how does that impact your recruiting yeah. board and if you're a team like florida state where you've got a guy committed and then you've got to play that game so some some really interesting dynamics in play there with cutter bully especially if he's going to take that approach of, of picking a school before the class um, a name to keep an eye on um we've been trying to keep an eye on the wide receiver position for a while in the 2024 cycle of course a notable position change a few months ago for the nittany lions and with marcus Hagens now running the ship in that position room uh we're still waiting to see some targets land on the commitment board for 2024 how are things evolving there it's still a pretty wide open board but i think we are starting to gain a little bit more clarity with official visits falling into place the first of which i want to touch on is nick marsh he'll be on campus for his official visit 
weekend of June 2nd. That's a really important visit for Penn State, getting the first crack at him. He's going to be announcing his commitment in July. For Michigan State pledge, Spartan still is seen to be in that race. The likes of Auburn and Tennessee are involved as well. But Penn State, you know, they really like Marsh. Yeah, he's one of their top targets at the position in 2024 right now. So getting him on campus, locking down an official visit after the the uh, after he reopened his recruitment back earlier this spring, and you know developing that relationship with Marcus Hagens on the fly, things have come together nicely on that front. He went as far as telling me he thought the visit to Penn State, he he thought it went a lot better than he originally anticipated. He wasn't really sure what to expect, you know, coming into a new situation with Hagens in place, replacing Taylor Stubblefield, and you know. He wasn't really sure how things were going to play out, but he really loved the staff. He loved Penn State, so they're locked in for an official. Beyond Marsh, I mean, really a lot of names that we've touched on before. Josiah Brown from New York, he's a top guy who's going to be back at Penn State for an official visit in June. At least that's the expectation. Chance Robinson from St. Thomas Aquinas down in Florida. He's committed to Miami right now. Penn State's not giving up that battle yet. There seems to be some optimism that he still will make it. For his official visit on June 2nd, but I want to see if that one ultimately comes to fruition. You know, a lot of guys say, Oh, yeah, I'm going to stick to my officials. And then as the official inches closer, they decide, No, nah, I'm committed. I'm going to lock in and just focus on that. So we'll see where Robinson goes with that. Jalen Hornsby from South Jersey down Camden High. He's got the crystal ball pick from Brian Dolan in favor of the Nittany Lions. They're in a good spot there. Made it to Tennessee for a visit that went well. So that's a recruitment where there's a lot of SEC players, but Penn State's acquitted itself quite well. Another recruitment that kind of falls into that category is the one of Jare Hawkins down in uh, Bradenton, you know, IMG Academy. He's a West Virginia native, and he has an official visit locked in. I'd say I've heard that Penn State wants to see a little bit more of him as coming along as a receiver, so we'll be keeping an eye on that. But he's locked in for an official. Florida has been pushing pretty hard. They've got him coming back for an official. He's been, to, you know, it's easier for him to get to Florida now with him being down at IMG. He's going to be returning to his home state and taking an official to West Virginia. So, I mean, those are really just some of the names on the wide receiver from it. There are a lot that we can get to. You know, Emmanuel Ross, a guy I just saw this past weekend for the UC report up here in North Jersey, took home MVP honors. I mean, he's been profiled more as, you know, kind of one of those secondary guys, but there's a chance he moves up in the pecking order. Brian Dolan just caught up with Peter Gonzalez, who's looking at taking a Penn State official visit, you know, the Pittsburgh Central Catholic wideout. So it's evolving, man. But when it comes to the top guys at the position, you know, the ones I mentioned, Marsh, Robinson, Brown, Hornsby, they're the top tier. And, you know, Hawkins is flirting with that. And there, there are a lot of others who are kind of, you know, finding their place on the board as well. So it's still an open board, but I will say, I think we have a lot more tangible information on the way things are shaping up now than we did during spring practice at the beginning of spring practice and really leading up to the blue white game. Yeah. A lot of stuff there and, and, and a lot of names and, and a lot of official visits, which is going to be, you'd imagine starting to separate some guys from the pack or for better or for worse as they work their way through. Do you get the sense that this is that position that can go from, Oh my gosh, there's no one on board to, is there room for anyone left real fast? Like where we're, we're talking about in a two month span, perhaps the floodgates open and it goes from zero guys on board to, can you squeeze another receiver on board? Or do you think this is kind of one that plays out methodically all the way into December? I think it definitely has the chance to blow up if the cards fall in Penn state's favor, you know, landing a guy like Marsh, that'd be big. 
getting Hornsby would be important, getting Brown would be important. And you could kind of see all of that come together, you know, maybe in a relatively short period of time, given all of those guys seem intent on taking their June official visits. I, like I said, Marsh has the decision date coming up in early July. So he already has a pretty good idea of when he wants to wrap things up for a second time in his recruitment. You know, he, he, the process has been a long one for him. And I didn't even mention guys like Keelan Adams from Virginia, who's, you know, a high tier prospect that Penn State's been after, you know. <laughs> Chance Wiggins, a guy, he really likes Penn State. He's more of a secondary target right now, but he loves Penn State, and he's exploring the potential for an official visit. So I think not even just with the guys who are really high on the board right now, some of those guys who are kind of, you know, maybe lurking a little bit further down who are really, really high on Penn State, I think you definitely have the potential for this class to come together in short order. But at the same time, you might – have to wait a little bit for that to happen given the schedules of some of these guys and the fact that they're still building their June official visit schedules and how intent they seem on taking those visits and then coming to a decision. Yeah. It's about, it's not just filling those receiver spots to fill them. It's selectively Quality. filling them yeah. with the right guys. And and right now, as you said, there's a lot of names, some of which you can probably easily place toward the top of the pack, but there's a crowd and, and you're looking for for uh, some separating factors there, I'd imagine, if you're Marcus Higgins and this Penn State staff. Um, and, and I don't want to shortchange um, you know, the script that we put together before we did this. We want to talk about linebackers as well, but I think we can we can couch that one for a bit. They've got Kari Jackson, yeah, Anthony Specka on board from, from winter commitments, and, and we'll look at that one next time you're on. But I want to dive into, because we're a little short on time, what you saw, what you heard at the UC report uh, over in New Jersey this past weekend, a good opportunity for you to go face to face and and see some of these top prospects in the region in action. It was in New Jersey, which is nice for you. You've got some camps to cover here in Happy Valley here in the coming months. But what do you hear regarding Penn State? And I know you saw at least one commitment in action. Yeah, you know, those Happy Valley camps are going to be a little bit further away. So I'm happy I was able to get to one uh, a little bit closer to me up here in Jersey. I was only about 25, 30 minutes away. You know, the weather wasn't great on Sunday, but, man, I got to give these guys a lot of credit. You know, it was a loaded list coming in, and pretty much everyone who was originally on that list made it despite the conditions. And those guys, man, they got out there and they competed. I got the chance to see Luke Reynolds in person for the first time, meeting him at a nice talk. Really great kid, as we've been talking about. I'm really, He's really excited to be in Nittany Line. A lot of good things out of him I saw. You know, I'm going to be interested to see what his 40 time is coming out of that camp, you know, running in the rain. It, it was tough, man. The conditions made things tough on a lot of guys. So we're going to see what comes about on that front. But he looked good during one-on-ones. He was catching some passes from South Carolina, commit Dante Reno, Rutgers commit AJ Serace was throwing him some balls. I mean, he showcased some pretty good hands in less than ideal conditions. And I can't say that about everyone who was there that day. It, it was a tough day for the receivers and tight ends. They dealt with a lot of, uh, a lot of adversity, but they made the most of it. So I got Reynolds was a quarterback last year. Let's he remember was, that. So we, honestly, want, we want to keep an eye on him. We want to keep an eye on him as a receiver. He wasn't the one so. throwing in that weather. Right. He was probably <laughs> thrilled to be on the other end of that for once. But, man, so Luke was there. I got the chance to catch up with his Cheshire Academy teammate, Elijah Newby, who was really skyrocketed of Penn State's big board at linebacker, and he's going to be back for an official visit in June. He was telling me he's not quite sure when exactly yet. He's still working on that, you know, working through his other shooters and when he's going to be able to get to those campuses. But he's liking Manny Diaz. He's liking James Franklin. And he's liking how those develop, how those relationships are developing. He actually got the chance to talk to Coach Franklin on draft night. So that was a nice little experience for him. He enjoyed having that conversation. So newbie, he has a high level of interest in Penn State. I would say relationships are driving that level of interest. It's been an increased level of interest after he visited 
during spring practice. On a Monday, he got on campus for a more intimate visit. That went well. And Michigan and Nebraska are the ones to know elsewhere for newbie at this point. So he's a name to monitor moving forward. Got the chance to talk to Jalen McLean a little bit. Not looking like he's going to make his Penn State official visit. He told me he's going to be canceling that one. Notre Dame, Ohio State, USC, and Oregon are his four for that month. Kosh Sanders from Bergen Catholic, he told me his official visit is still on. You know, three-star safety from up here in North Jersey. He told me he's still looking forward to that trip. He's going to be checking out North Carolina before that. South Carolina is going to get a visit, I believe. I believe Wisconsin, he told me he's going to get a visit. Checked in with some underclassmen as well. You know, top 100, uh, St. Joe's Montendale corner, Jameer Joseph out here in North Jersey. He's high on Penn State. He was in attendance for the blue-white game. Had a lot of good things to say about Terry Smith's defensive backs. Antoine Black Jr. from Laurel Highlands. He had a lot of the same sentiment. He's got a really good relationship with Terry Smith at this point in his recruitment. I mean, man, there were Penn State targets all over the place. It was a blast getting to catch up with some of these guys, meeting some of them in person. For, for the first time for me. So it was, a, it was a good day. You know, we made the most of it. And we got a lot of intel out of it, man. We had a notebook. Brian Don had a really great recruiting notebook beyond going beyond you know, the kids Penn State is involved with. A lot of information in there. If you're a VIP subscriber, Lions 24-7, 24-7 Sports, I definitely recommend checking out what Don brought to the table coming out of that event because, man, it's a really loaded with intel. Yeah, it's been it's been trickling onto the board uh, throughout the last few days, and and there's more on the front page now. As I just took a look, and uh, VIP subscribers now, if you if you're not one of those, a good chance to hop on board. Thirty percent off annual subscription, one dollar for one month. If you want to take a, a quick peek before diving into an annual subscription, but uh, it's a good time to do it because camp season's underway. We got a lot of camps coming here to State College. Tyler is going to be on the road. Brian Doan is on the road. Steve Wiltfong, Alan True. Uh, the entire 24-7 sports network, which I think people know rolls as deep as any and more deep than any across this country. A lot of Penn State prospects are going to be out and about. We'll have eyes on them and ears on them as well. Uh, Tyler, um, a lot of coverage from, from the UC Report. We appreciate that. And you also had some coverage uh, for basketball as, as they continue to build. Um, I want to finish with that here. Uh, as a Big East man yourself, uh, what you think about their big pickup uh, from a big man in Georgetown uh, via the transfer portal. And then what else are we monitoring right now as pieces come together for Mike Rhodes? I've always had some mixed opinions on Wahab. I think he was at his best when he helped lead Georgetown to that Big East tournament title run. I think that was the best ball that he's really played throughout his collegiate career. And that season, he looked like he was really coming to his own development-wise under Patrick Ewing. Goes to Maryland, you know, decides that the portal winds up at Maryland. Kind of struggled against some high-quality Big Ten bigs. Goes back to Georgetown. Wasn't really the same player that he was his first go-around at Georgetown. But look, I mean, the raw talent is still there. And Penn State, look, it needs to add in the front court. You know, size is size. And Wahab, I'd say the one plus, the one big plus with Wahab is the fact that he's been in the Big Ten already. He knows, the phys- he knows and understands the physicality of the conference and the demands that it takes to play in the conference. And he knows the way a lot of its big men play. You know, granted, a lot of the guys he went up against are no longer in college, but he has so he has a pretty good level of familiarity with what is expected out of the bigs in the Big Ten, how they're asked to defend, you know, how they play with their back to the basket. So I would say that helps Penn State. And, you know, we still have to go through and make sure that he's going to be eligible. For this upcoming season, with him being a two-time transfer, he's going to have to get a waiver, I believe. I, I'm pretty sure that's the way that's going to play out for him. But Penn State, happy to have Wahab on board. Quality front court addition. And 
look, you know, my opinion aside, I'm, I'm over here talking about Wahab. Mike Rhodes and his staff, they, they love the evaluation they got from him, and that's what matters at the end of the day. And and so we keep seeing, okay, transfer here. There's a VCU guy coming. Here's another VCU guy, now one from Temple, and, and then North Carolina. And, and, and you keep piecing together all these transplants. You want some homegrown, organically uh, developing talent, though, and the 2023 recruiting class got erased by the way, Braden Shrewsbury, not surprising anyone, popping up officially in, in Notre Dame's 2023 recruiting class now. Where are they at trying to put this together? You've done a nice job at Lines 24-7 for our VIP subscribers at tracking the names to know. It may be late in the cycle. It may be a strange time in the cycle with such separation from signing day, but there's some legit talent out there still looking for a home. And, you know, one of those, one of those really talented players at Penn State trying to add is Blue Kane, the top 100 IMG Academy shooting guard. He was committed to Georgia Tech at one point. He might be committed by somewhere by the time this podcast goes up, to be honest with you. It seems like something is coming down the pipeline with him soon. So his recruitment's been kind of evolving over the last 24 hours, I would say. Done a lot of asking around on him. It seems like right now Georgia and Virginia are in a pretty good spot to land him. Based on what I've heard, I know Penn State has felt optimistic about Kane at times, but right now from what I'm hearing, it looks like Virginia and Georgia are kind of the two trending with, I think, Virginia – having a slight edge over Georgia. We're going to have to see how that one plays out, but something should be coming on that front soon. Brady Dunlap, the top 150 wing from California, he was supposed to visit. That trip wound up not happening, and he just committed to St. John's about a half hour ago. So that's a 2023 target coming off the board. And, I mean, this late in the cycle, you know, you're going to have to really weigh what you want to do if you're Mike Rhodes and his staff. How many scholarship guys you want to take on the port, or how many guys, how many spots you want to allocate – for high school recruits, I know there's definitely a desire to add a high school recruit and get one of those four-year guys in here. I know that's something that's definitely in the cards for the staff. So they're going to be looking to do that, whether it be Kane or someone else that we're not really privy to right now. And, you know, we still got transfer portal pursuits going on as well, and you're trying to keep Evan Mahaffey in town. We wrote about him a little bit yesterday. I'm start, As today has gone on, as Tuesday has gone on, I'm starting to hear more, uh, more Ohio State smoke for Mahaffey, which is where he visited this past weekend. It sounded like Ohio State, pretty good visit for him. So Buckeyes are definitely one to keep an eye on there. Decision there could be coming soon. We had originally heard last month that a decision was supposed to be coming. It never came. He winds up making it to Ohio State for that visit. So we'll be monitoring Mahaffey's recruitment. It's been a fluid one in the portal. So we're going to have to see. You know, keeping Mahaffey, is, uh, it's been about as high a priority for Mike Rhodes and this staff as anything. So that's someone they would definitely like to keep in town. So there's still a lot of movement going on, man. There's going to be a lot a lot of moves to be made as this staff continues to work to build its roster. Yeah, so much hanging in the balance. Uh, Tyler Calvaruzzo has been, been crushing it on the basketball recruiting front as well for us uh, over at lines247.com. He's got a story up uh, today on a Tuesday about a football uh, visitor from the transfer portal, and, and there's never a dull moment. Uh, I know you know that uh, more than anyone probably right now. So, Tyler, we appreciate it. Uh, we'll talk to you real soon. Thanks for having me, man. Looking forward to getting back. All right. Good stuff from my colleagues at Lions 24-7, Tyler Calparuso, Daniel Gallen, Mark Brennan. I'm Tyler Donahue. Thank you, as always, for tuning in to the Lions 24-7 podcast, whether you're listening uh, wherever you find your podcast or catching our videos on their video episodes at YouTube. We'll talk to you real soon. We have another episode coming down the line this week. Surely there'll be some news to discuss between now and then and plenty happening over at lines247.com along the way. We'll talk to you real soon. Have a good one.